Green Day. Mike Durnt. Mike Durnt. Mike Durnt. Mike. Wow, that's a that's Mike a nice like enunciation. <laughs> yeah, you gotta follow the do the do's and dirts. All right, here we go. Welcome to And Introducing, a podcast about words, about music. I'm Chris Wade. And I'm Molly O'Brien. And introducing, well, let me let me set you a scene. Ah. The year is 2009, and America has just crawled its way out of the heinous eight years of war and deprivation known as the Bush administration. Wow, that was like the worst it could get, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We needed song, and we needed dance, and we needed catharsis. Ah. That's right. Before we had the Cheeto-in-Chief... We had American Idiot, an unlikely Broadway musical from three unlikely pop punk superstars from the East Bay, Green Day. And today we'll be learning all about the production of one of the Great White Way's weirdest shows through the feature length documentary, Broadway Idiot. Woo. But first, let me introduce our own guests from the Blink 155 podcast, the only podcast to review every Blink 182 song. It's Sam Sutherland and Josiah Hughes. Hi, Sam and Josiah. Going to have to go ahead and uh, fact check you right there because yeah. there's... <laughs> You're not the only one? It's very disappointing uh, what we're going to we, have to tell you right off the bat. <laughs> we started the podcast thinking we were the only ones doing it, and we had a lot of um, hubris about it. And then <laughs> one one Google that should have happened about a month before we started oh revealed that there are multiple Blink-182 podcasts, and at least two of them are doing every song, I think. No <laughs> yeah, there's, there's one... One called Blink and You'll Miss It, which unlike our sort of three-hour diatribes about 30-second skate punk songs, is like a very succinct summary of each song. Um, there's Take Off Your Pants and Podcast. Oh, my God. <laughs> Blink-180 Dudes. There's, no. there's so many. But the thing is, if and this is a great time to also plug our Patreon, but if you follow us on <laughs> <laughs> patreon.com slash Blink-155. so early. What the fuck are yeah. you doing? People are, I'm assuming people are going to turn this off, so that's you, why. You know, um, I've often thought about moving plugs to the beginning of the episode because, uh, you <laughs> know. You got to get it in. The end. You got to get yeah, it in. Uh, so, we yeah. Did but, uh, a, we did have an episode where we reviewed all of the other Blink-182 <laughs> podcasts. Uh, and we oh, my God. To bits of them and, so yeah, who is, it was good. Who is the best one besides yours? I'm going to have to give it to... Um, I think I forget which Blink One Eighty Two podcast he has, but there's this guy that has a side podcast from the Blink One Eighty Two one. It's called Just Zach. Okay. And it's just this guy Zach, and he just talks. He's like, "Hey, it's just Zach." That is the epitome of podcasting. Yeah, just a guy, just Zach, and his thoughts. He like started his own network too. It's like Just Zach is part of like some sort of like I don't know some network. Yeah, yeah it's so the, the, the maximum Zach network. Zach. network. Holy shit! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the goal for what we're doing is like we eventually want to like split off from each other and just have our own yeah. Chris and Molly podcast and just talk about whatever the fuck we want. Yeah. And I can finally get to my favorite part of podcasting, a podcast only about how I'm too tired to do podcasts. Yes. So the entire podcast is just uh, 80 minutes of me being like, hey, guys, I'm uh. tired today. <laughs> Well, I don't That's know like, what wave of podcasting we're in right now, but it, for sure the sort of meta, meta, like so deep incepted version of a podcast is whatever wave this particular kind of horror show is. So I think that's a that's a good idea. I think yeah. you'd be ahead of the curve on that. Yeah. yeah. Just grant keep it granular. All that's right. the name of my yeah. podcast. Keep it granular. Keeping it granular with Molly. <laughs> 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 
All right, so not the only Blink-182 uh, podcast, but uh, let, let's do a throwback reference. The only Blink-182 podcast that matters, uh, the host of Blink-155. Right. Yes. Um, but today we're not talking about Blink-182. We're talking about the other Blink-182, Green, Green Day. Right. Uh, guys, uh, Josiah, you suggested doing Broadway Idiot. Uh, why? Uh, mostly because I don't, I don't like to read, so that was mostly yeah. why. Hell yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like this is this is a reading podcast, right? And you guys let Josiah bamboozle you into his version of reading, which is a movie, right? We're, we're down a movie that I that I love to make my punk friends cringe at whenever they're over at my house. Like this is the perfect movie to just make. And that's, I think, what our podcast is, too, is just, like, trying to make punks feel embarrassed. <laughs> that is, this is noble. What, that is one of the things that I kept saying uh, or thinking over and over is, that, like, this entire movie and project, the American Idiot on Broadway project, is a project about trying to take the stupidest, simplest thing and making it as unnecessarily complex as possible. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's true. Yeah, uh, well, I, I certainly didn't expect to be uh, talking about either Broadway or movies as much as we have recently on the show, but I'm glad to because I think there is something uh, like weirdly revealing about the process of making a Broadway play to the, the, the content of it. Yeah. Like we did a Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark recently, and that is another oh, thing. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. That is another process of taking something that should be like a straight over home plate home run and making it as weirdly complicated as possible. And then you also have Bono like calling you in the middle of the night being like, I think it needs to be better. Yes. So I feel like watching my Billy Joe Armstrong like deal with all this stuff. He, he seemed pretty chill and relaxed and like, oh, yeah, this all basically seems fine. And yes. I was like, oh, yeah, Bono with the Spider-Man musical yes. was like all he's all up in that. Yeah, where Bono Bono's creative process is like, well, the thing about Bono is his concept is excellence. <laughs> <laughs> it's the bon it's the Bono standard. Um, How many people actually died in the production of that musical, or was it just that various people were like crippled forever? People were very badly injured. There were like four or five. Like one guy just got absolutely wrecked. He fell like thirty feet into the orchestra pit and like broke all the things, and he somehow oh survived. Uh, because they tried to innovate a new stage flying technique on like the stage flying technique that you see in this musical. In American Idiot. Because something about Green Day demands on stage flying for some reason. <laughs> well, yeah, man. It's art. Yeah. <laughs> you got to fly in art. The whole time I was watching it yesterday for a third time, um, <laughs> I was thinking about how they've created such a like such a narrative that they were developing this story and this plot and it was going to be so complicated, but the musical is mostly just a mattress on wheels rolling around. <laughs> yes. <on the> stage. <laughs> yes. Dude, that was my big takeaway is that it, it's a concept album and, and uh, Josiah and I both have a background in music journalism and every time a band wants to be taken seriously, they put out a concept album and they tell you all about it and they're like, the main character is simply called the man. Yes. Like, it's always that, right? And, and so this has all those elements like, oh, she's called what's her name? But then they fully admit as they are discussing sort of trying to get the production up on its legs that they're like, so we kind of had to invent a plot. And you're like, because yes. there's no plot, no concept album actually has <laughs> has a coherent plot it's never happened yes it's, a, it's, that's why it's, a, it's a concept yes it's not it's not a story <laughs> right. album it's a concept it's album. not a plot yeah well let's sorry i want to get into yeah, the album I wanna, and we'll obviously talk more about this but let's go uh we usually start these shows by um saying how what our previous experience with the bands are so 
do you guys want to tell us a little bit about uh you know your your life experience and your thoughts on uh, Green Day in general? Yeah, I've been listening to a tremendous amount of Green Day in the last you know week or two because of the Dookie 25th anniversary. That oh, really, yeah. like, all all the clickbait really worked on me. Oh hell yeah! And so <laughs> I, I subsequently spent like I've been just been listening to the Green Day discography like on a kind of constant loop for about a week, which has been um, I'm sure like a, a really pleasant thing to live alongside. But <laughs> I, I, this to me is like a band that I even heard like before, obviously heard before Blink. But I was born in '85, so when Dookie came out, I was in the fourth grade. Oh god. Very distinct memory of hearing it for the first time where uh, a kid had a copy of the tape that he brought to a birthday party that was like at an ice skating rink Uh (laughs) outside, outside. And so they got the guy who ran the PA at the skating rink to put Dookie on at the skating rink, just like on a Friday night while kids are kind of just skating in a circle. And by the time it got to Longview, he obviously had like turned it off and (laughs) yelled at this kid. And I was like, this is the sickest album and like the most important band in the world. And that was like my introduction to Green Day, who I have loved ever since. Uh, That's pretty fucking perfect. I think mine was people. My friends had Dookie, but I, I think like I. If you listen to Blink 155, you'll know I grew up listening to Christian punk music, not <laughs> not real punk music. So I didn't have Dookie, but I did have the Godzilla soundtrack. <laughs> oh. And Brain Stew was on it, and then they added like uh, Godzilla noises in between the. Like, it's what? So stupid. It's it the Godzilla no remix, dude. Yeah. That is an iconic remix. <laughs> on my own, here we go. That whole OST is so sick. Like, I didn't even know that Heroes wasn't a Wallflowers song until very recently. <laughs> well, it's, it's, like, it's like the Jeff Buckley thing, right? Like, Jeff Buckley covered Hallelujah and it became his song. And I think similarly, the Wallflowers covered <laughs> exactly. Heroes and David Bowie was like, it's yours. It's yours. Yeah, wow. I, I can't do this anymore. Take the keys. You've earned it. Um, but yeah, so then when I first learned guitar in grade seven, I'm not going to say seventh grade because I'm Canadian. Yeah, cool. of course. We say grade seven. That. Yeah. Um, but I... In my assembly, when I first learned guitar, we I covered Brain Stew with some friends. We were like 12 years old. And I wish there was a video of it because it's exactly the kind of video that we would roast on our podcast, I'm sure. <laughs> um, and then, I don't know, I kind of just like, I think my favorite Green Day is actually Nimrod. I think it's like an incredible album. I love the first sort of massive trying to sell out album that punk bands always do. They're, they always sound so cool and they always have great production. But then I definitely lost interest and around the time of American Idiot I thought they were such a joke. Yeah. Um, and then, I don't know, then they did like Uno Dos Trey. I tried to listen to their newest album two years ago because uh, Billy Joe did a tweet before it came out that was like <laughs> In in 2016, I'm gonna kill the term pop punk forever. Uh, oh like, no! Okay, uh, I gotta get into this, but Billy, uh, no, it pretty, no, it was it was pretty pop punk to be honest. Oh man! Uh. But I think I think Billy Joe is like so actually cool, and that's why it's different and weird. Like I have, I'm I'm finding new emotions even so far talking about this than with Blink One Eight Two, who are obviously corny yes. and like cheesy, easy to make fun of. But Billy Joe is like kind of the dream scenario to be a famous punk guy. Well, yeah. Josiah and I have been like messaging about this as I've been just like getting way too into the discography where like on an album like Nimrod, which came out at the same time as Enemy of the State, there's like this really sort of fun, um, positive song about cross-dressing uh-huh. and mm-hmm. just generally like they've always, always been on the right side of like progressive political movements. Like they've, they've been yeah. consistently like as much as American Idiot, which we'll get into is like, that's that's what that is. But like 
at a time when Blink was still doing like weird, misogynist, homophobic, uh, like, you know, gay panic jokes. Yeah. Yeah. Green Day was being punk still on a major scale. And yeah, like, I mean, I think I think that's that's kind of East Bay versus versus San San Diego. Yeah. Mm. I mean, not to say that parts of SoCal aren't, uh, uh, you know, progressive in their own way, but there is like, um, you know. There's the, the kind of a Schwarzenegger conservative streak through, uh, you know, south of L.A. Or, you know, yeah, you, you like, just want to skateboard and eat fish tacos. Yeah. You don't really and, think and, about more complicated things And not be called gay that. by your friends, yeah. even though you want to take off your clothes and run around naked with them all the time. But that's not <laughs> gay. <laughs> no. Very, very specifically. So, wait, what about you guys? Um, yeah. I, Green Day, for me, has always been like, I never really sought it out, but it was very, like, when I was most into alternative rock radio, it was always like yeah. Green Day was there for me in that sense. Um, but I never really, honestly, I did not listen to them on an album level at all until American Idiot. Like I definitely bought American Idiot on like the iTunes store and was like, I was into it. I really liked it. I don't, I don't think it was like, it wasn't really, it didn't make me feel any better about the world. <laughs> honestly, I was like in the sense that like no musical type of thing, really does but i was like i appreciated the effort i thought the production was nice and then i basically just forgot about them for like the you know a decade yeah like i didn't realize that they put out another concept album the um what is it called the like 21st century 21st century breakdown yeah Yeah, which apparently like was very successful for them i just feel like i've been kind of in and out on the green day but i respect them and i i enjoyed american idiot at the time yeah, I mean, Green for me, Green Day kind of missed me. It was like like Dookie was slightly too early for me mm. to to know about, and then I kind of hit listening to like Blink One Eighty Two and stuff. And then by time, so they were like my pop punk guys, and I didn't really get into Green Day. And then American Idiot came out, and you know, being a uh, jaded uh, high schooler uh, at the time, I could be like, oh, these pop punk guys are trying to do a political album. Oh, <laughs> how corny. Uh, but now I don't know if this is the, the time that I'll make my grand statement about it, but it might be like looking back at American idiot. Now I'm like, I wish we had like a billion of these, uh, anymore. Like, uh, no, uh making a big really going for it. album about how bad American culture is <laughs> in like broad dumb guy strokes is great. And we should have more of them. And, and, and they are cool. Good guys. I, I mean, yeah. from, from that era, from the like Iraq war, uh, time protest music was so bad. There wasn't that much of it, and yeah. all of it was trash. It was all people like doing these one-off songs that were like, "Oh, he's not this cowboy is a president, yes. and I don't like him." <laughs> and I just, I just remember thinking of like, people are not doing like people are not going as hard as they could, and so I appreciated Green Day for yeah. like they they did they did that they did that they did that uh, definitely. I I think also. T- Time for me, time has proven as well just that the songs are actually really good. Like American Idiot is not very good when you first hear it, but that's not the whole true, album has. Go some, ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, even that one has grown on me a little bit, but it's like it's a hockey anthem for sure. But I don't know, all the songs have really grown on me a lot. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it is telling at least for me that as soon as we started watching this movie, that I could remember most of most the lyrics uh, to. Oh, and that yeah, that there are like six hit huge singles off this album yeah and i like can hum along to all of them after not thinking about them for 13 years or something you know so i mean i think that that is a hallmark of a good song also perhaps one of the major flaws of this movie is that it starts with green day playing brain stew yeah 
And yeah, fuck it's if so Brain weird. <laughs> fuck if Brain Stew is not like one of the best rock songs. It's, it's so, so good. good. It's Wait, so good. <laughs> when the movie also, opened with that, I was like, it's like, well, no, I just love that. Like, cause Brain Stew uh, and Josiah's more of a guitar man and might know the answer to this, but like, it's the same chord progression as like Pachelbel Cannon yeah. and like a bunch of other, like it's, it is just like a, it's a tried and true sort mm-hmm. of chord progression played perfectly and only improved by the Godzilla remix. Yes. <laughs> Which by the way, I looked at, I looked at it up and it says it, it's literally billed as Green Day featuring Godzilla. <laughs> so Godzilla's got that, yeah. that songwriting Who, credit. What other also- band has done that? Yes. You can't, that's a rare claim. Godzilla doesn't work with everyone. Yes. Yeah, no. <laughs> He's very reclusive. Yeah, you, you have to see uh, their um, live in Rio uh, 2000, or 1999 uh, footage when they bring Godzilla out on stage. Godzilla, to come to Brazil. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Out of falling out. Yeah. yeah. I've heard they're bringing back the hologram, though, for like their next uh, oh, yeah, yeah. performance. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. oh God. I'm, I'm looking forward to the oral history of the recording of that yeah. uh, single. I'm sure it was, <laughs> was uh, really intense. I would love Godzilla to um, release one of those albums like Travis Barker's album where Godzilla is the only constant and then it's a rotating band of, uh, <laughs> of other featuring artists. Slash, I think, would probably do amazing things. Oh, yeah. Them. Slash oh, and right. Godzilla. <laughs> That was so good. It has the uh, Diddy uh, Come With Me, which is like also way better. Like you talk about the Wallflowers being better than Bowie. Like that song is much better than any standalone Led Zeppelin song. Oh, Oh my God. Yeah, this is nothing but like late late millennium improvements upon the originals. God, I, I feel <laughs> yeah, like we yeah. could. I feel like we could do a whole episode just talking about the Godzilla soundtrack because I'm just remembering <laughs> yes. now the like video with like Jimmy Page and Diddy. Like he's playing. Like he came in and did guitar on that track. Uh, yeah. I think. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't think it was just a sample. That's wild. Yeah. And there was a, a sick Rage Against the Machine song, too, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And, and the Foo Fighters song is really good, guys, right? Do we all like wow. Foo Fighters here? Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> give it, let's keep, give let's it up for along. Foo Fighters. Oh, my God. Uh, what are we talking about? Oh, yes. American Idiot. Yes. The other thing that I always think about when, when American Idiot, the musical, came out, I'm just imagining like a bunch of guys in like a college dorm in 1993 or something and and, you know one of them being like god damn nirvana this is like the revolution that rock music has needed this band is going to be the next you know as important as the next beatles they'll be around for 20 years and somebody else being like i mean i think that that's good but you know like Soundgarden is 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 revolutionizing things just as much you know they're gonna really stand in this test of time and a third guy being like uh, I think this Green Day band is uh, <laughs> 20 years from now. They're really going to be all over the place. Uh, I, th- I really imagine them being a Broadway musical band <laughs> uh, and just being laughed out of the room. But it came true. It's true. They're the band that survived. The arc of their career is so completely unique. Like if you think about, you know, as comparing them to Blink, like, you know, which is the obvious uh, comparison that is the, the only, only one thing that I know. It's the only thing I'm <laughs> capable of saying. The uh, two bands. Is, <laughs> is like they have sort of like one really like one album that kind of sells better and then things are kind of good. But it's it's ultimately like and that's really the arc of most kind of careers. But for Green Day to have these massive hits separated by 10 years. Yes. Yeah is so unique, especially at a time where, and like, obviously, you know, American Idiot, it was old enough that people were still listening to rock bands, but you're, you're kind of still talking about an era in which like generally like guitar based music was already on the way out. Yes. And, and this record just like cut through in a really like astonishing way. Uh, yeah. This might be one of the last 
rock records. Besides, you know, Corn, of course, I think we've established no, is like the last rock the last band. rock band. Well they, well, they might be the last rock band, but Green Day, American Idiot, might be like the last rock, rock album. album. I'm noticing a lot of uh, Greta Van Fleet erasure right now. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. No, we don't. We don't claim them. Uh, <laughs> come at us, but no, Greta Van Fleet. I mean, fans. that is one of the things that I think, like watching this. Musical makes you understand and then also doing a little background research for this is just like how popular Green Day is. They are so big. I was just yeah. reading they've sold 85 million albums throughout their career. Like every single one of their albums except uh, uh, Warning is double platinum. Like they are just huge and enormously popular in a, in a way that that rock bands just ha- cannot be anymore. Yeah. It's true. In reference to their kind of continued rock success, like reading all these memoirs, the late 90s really breaks the brains of rock people. Like not everyone gets out alive. What The thing I've noticed is that by the time I hit in the books, like the late, the mid to late 90s is everyone is confused and afraid. <laughs> and I think the best like demonstration of what happened with that is like, I don't know if you guys remember um, Garth Brooks's alter ego, Chris oh, Gaines. Oh, Chris Gaines. And like just how, how, like what? How did that happen? And it's like, you know, just hurtling toward the new millennium and like not sure what rock music or like guitar music is supposed to be anymore. And Green Day, like they they could have gotten swallowed up in that, but they made it out. And I'm so proud of them. Yeah. Um, so let's talk it's about because they're cool, though. It's because cool. uh, sorry. One thing I wanted to add is like um, there's videos that you can find of them playing like on their lunch break at high school and they already are exactly green day. Like yeah. they're, they're like 15 years old and they're playing perfectly. And it sounds like a green day concert. Like they're just like, <laughs> they're cooler than everyone else. Yeah. I Which mean, th- cool. that is, <laughs> that is another thing that I thought of like watching this musical is, or this movie is that they are a high school battle of the bands band. That is a perfect battle of the bands band that has been doing exactly <laughs> that for 30 years. Like they never, <laughs> It, it, they they never really grow or develop, but in the right way where they are just like crystallized and being like a playing a perfect 17 year olds battle of the bands uh, song. Yeah. Over and over and over again. Yeah. For 30 years. And uh, at, in 2005, they decided to make it about uh, the shrub, uh, George Bush <laughs> Jr. Uh, oh, and it worked. It, it stupidly worked. They also, also just always had such a like amazing command of actual pop songwriting in yeah. a way that a lot of bands will be like, oh, this is our mature album. Like we, we've been listening a lot to the Beatles and you're like, fuck <laughs> off. But, like, even on Dookie, there are melody like there are Beatles quality melodies on fucking Kerplunk. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And that's why I, I think America, I love American Idiot and like and I loved it when I heard it. And 21st Century Breakdown is when they like kind of started to believe their own genius and just absolutely lost the plot. Oh but yeah! I think, like this record works so well because it melds that like total like high school battle of the bands thing with like what's always been kind of baked into their DNA, which is this like grandiosity of just like pure kind of pop songwriting ambition. Yeah, yeah. And they also they also invented the thing where when pop punk bands go serious, they wear a black dress shirt and a red tie. Oh, yeah. yes. Yes. <laughs> there are a lot of good formal punk looks in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, That's true. They're, they're the first to do it, eh? Yeah, they invented the thing. Luckily, Blink didn't do it. They they just became emo when they went serious. But at, like some 41, and there's a Canadian band called Billy Talent that's pretty much been black shirt and red tie since the start. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. My Chemical Romance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. a very MCR look. 
God damn. I'm now I'm just remembering. Let, let's get into the movie itself because I'm just now thinking about all the amazing like circa 2008 looks that are documented in this movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, like the, the, <laughs> yeah. the high watermark of wearing a graphic tee over a long T-shirt. Yeah. Wearing a Scott Pilgrim T-shirt. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. But, but hey, that There's was before a... Scott Pilgrim was was big. You know, that was before the movie. Was it? Well, was when they were just for the heads, right? Yeah, yeah. When they were doing their when they were doing their voice records, I noticed a Dunder Mifflin shirt and oh a Family god. Guy shirt. I was like, oh my god! Oh my but god! But I also love. I I wrote. I made some notes last night, and I wrote down that Billy kind of looks like Fivel goes west. With yes, that, like giant. <laughs> He's wearing an extremely yeah. bad hat for about sixty uh, percent of his appearances on. <laughs> and his wife has like half dreadlock. Like I just feel like if I knew someone was making a documentary about me, I'd be like, look, I know. I really want to wear this weird outfit right now because it's 2003, but I'm going to go with something more neutral. It's gonna, this movie's going to last forever. What, what about Mike Dern's uh, safety pin earring? Like, oh, yes. oh, yeah. You know that he's punk, right? Yeah. yeah. It's not a safety pin in in his ear. It is no. a, a, a metal pin like a earring in yeah. the shape of a safety pin. Yeah. Also, the it's blazers with fun. pins in it, the like sort of the, you know, punk rock prom type of look. Oh, yeah. It's it's all very evocative. The amazing thing about well, uh, 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 Billy Joe Armstrong's terrible hat is that when he shows the footage of him singing in 1983, three. when he's six, he's wearing the oh exact same hat. <laughs> yeah. He loves yeah. hats. He's doing like bye bye birdie. Yes. So, so sweet. So That's cute. That's the best part. Yeah, it is. He does look like a, a large child. He does look like a large <laughs> child. He <laughs> He's really adorable. Um, also, his talking head interviews, it looks like he has dye in his hair. Like, his hair looks black, but also gray, but as if it's, like, in the middle of being dyed. <laughs> yes, he looks like he dyes his hair, like, every week, which yes. maybe he does. Yes. And that's okay, Billy. Oh, yeah, he just, That's he, so cool. He looks like yeah. he, uh, like, soaks a, 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 a black... Crayola marker in water and then uses that to dye his hair. Yeah. <laughs> well, while we're talking about shirts, I'm curious why the fuck Newsroom Jim, they like made sure to put like black flag posters all over everything. And then Newsroom Jim's character is wearing an Indiana Jones t shirt for yes. the whole musical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, well, let's, let's get into the uh, musical itself. Molly, did you write a. Honestly, not really. Okay, great. I thought we would free ball this one. Okay, yeah. So. What we watched today, now that we're uh, 27 minutes into this recording, what we watched today is a documentary about the ad adaptation of American Idiot, the album, into American Idiot, the Broadway musical, which premiered uh, in the East Bay in 2009 and was expanded to Broadway in uh, 2010 uh, and received a nomination for Best Musical in 2011. So this was a, 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 a well Fairly well received uh, Broadway play. Yeah, uh, and who they who they lose to? Oh God, who won Best Musical in 2011? Oh man, uh, well, did none of us know our Tony Awards history? Here? Yeah, this is oh, quite embarrassing. Off my if game. If anyone would, it would. I, if Sam would, if it would be anyone, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I I should uh, I should mention Book of Mormon. Someone's Book of Mormon. Up. Book of Oh, okay. Book so of Mormon. The, Got yeah, it. Yeah, it's better. Another. Uh, uh, well, I guess they, they were a little earlier, but, you know, uh, 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 something that came in prominence in the in the aughts, uh, uh, South Park being moved to the, the stage. Again, another unlikely uh, stage pairing. Oh, wait. No, I fucked it up. Wrong year. It was Memphis one. Does anyone remember the musical uh, well, look, Memphis? We're not talking about Memphis today. We're talking about uh, American Idiot. So who, <laughs> who can say who's robbed? Uh, I mean, it's true. <laughs> yeah. Unless there's a really good book about Memphis. I mean, I feel like we'll we'll mainly cover this movie by just like scattershot uh, uh, bringing up what we remember from it because 
I would say the main thing about this movie is that it, uh, is it has a lack of dramatic tension. Literally, uh, yeah. you know, it does a thing where it shows a few snippets of like the artist talking about it before it goes to the title sequence where you, you theoretically would have a sequence that's like, we were super skeptical about adapting the punk rock energy of Green Day to Broadway. We didn't trust these guys. And like the Broadway guys being like, I was taking a wild swing here and I didn't know it would work, but we'll see if it <laughs> yeah. if it happens. Like you would expect that and then it would cut to be like, let's see if they can put it all together. But this really, this really begins with like, a talking head of uh, Billy Joe Armstrong being like, yeah, I thought this was a great idea. And then a talking head of the director <laughs> being like, I thought it was a great idea. And then it comes to the There is a great recurring bit between the director and Billy Joe that he does emphasize off the top where he goes, we're from totally different worlds. He's working class and I'm upper middle class. And you're like, okay. And he's like, you know, and other stuff. And you're like, right, right. And then like an hour later, there's a callback to that where he's like, we're just from two different worlds. He's uh, 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 from one class and I am uh, from a different class. And I was like, is that the only difference that you can discern between the two of you? Like, I, get, I get the class divisions in America are like a big issue, but like there must be some other way in which the two of you come from different worlds. And yeah. also they I seem mean, I'll, pretty I'll similar. Is. The big difference is that guy's a fucking Broadway nerd and Billy Joe Armstrong's cool as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's obvious. That's the subtext, right? Yeah. Um, the problem that I have is that, and I don't know, I think we need to talk about the other elephant in the room is what we all think of musicals because I think they're embarrassing as hell and I hate them. So this movie is like... <laughs> <laughs> to me, I'm like watching an album that I grew to like die on screen as this movie unfolds because oh, I just God. think it's all so corny and embarrassing. Oh, man. Um, yeah. Musicals are a extremely specific art form. And again, it, it, as I was saying at the very beginning, it, like the process of a- adapting something to a musical is the process of making it as complicated and, and corny and uncool as yeah. possible. Yeah. And like stilted and like taking rock songs and like stripping out all the rock from them and putting in in its place, replacing it with like ornateness and brittleness and uh, like complicated sort of acapella like harmonies. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, I like musicals when they lean into their stupid musicalness of them. Like I like the music man and stuff like that, where it's like, this is a big dumb musical and, and not something else. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the other thing I'm thinking is like musicals remind me of what like local whatever city you live in local theater productions trying to do Shakespeare. They've, they've been trying to make it like this rock star thing for like 20 years. Like they don't make like normal musicals anymore. Yes. It always has to be like come the musical. <laughs> like, they're, trying like, <laughs> they're trying to be all edgy. Yeah. Well, I hate it. Um, also, I will point out my wife. My wife watched it with me yesterday. I, this, it was my third time trying to make her watch it, and she's like, "Fine, I'll finally watch it with you." Um, and while I was looking at my phone, she noticed. I don't know if you guys noticed, but Lin Manuel was there at no. the rehearsal. Oh, oh, fuck! No. I did not know one that. Shot. That's He's why there. it's so blessed. Oh yeah! <laughs> wow, I didn't realize so I, that. I feel I feel a little attacked by, um, in particular, Josiah's take on music. And I am, and I am genuinely trying to attack. Him I know, right and now. I appreciate that. Where you were like, we, I just want to set the stage here. I, I don't like you, Sam, and that's fine. So, um, I I love musicals. I grew up on musicals. I wrote a musical version of Jaws when I was in university, and uh, it actually ended up being fairly successful. We staged it uh, multiple times in Toronto. Oh my god. 
I traveled a bit around Canada, and then we actually did it off-Broadway in New York. And to date, it is the only, it's maybe the most successful creative project I've ever undertaken because it's the only thing I've ever done with a Wikipedia page. That's wild. Congratulations. I mean, no, that's fine. But (laughs) (laughs) just, just to give you an idea of like, I'm coming to this as like, much of a fan of the format as you could possibly be. Yeah, you you were all, you were all up in it. Yeah, you did yeah. it. Yeah, like, this so- is my, like I'm looking at this just being like, why, why can't I be newsroom Jim? You know, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, did you see American Idiot? I saw American Idiot in Toronto. In Toronto, did okay. any of you guys see it anywhere? No. no. But I have we Molly and I did see another rock musical by the same director of this musical, his restaging of Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Yes. That came out three years three ago. Three years ago. Yeah. It was good. It Hedw- was good. Hedwig rules. And that's- I saw Spring yeah, Awakening, which he also did. Because yeah. that's what it was funny. I was like looking at the seeing the kind of choreography that they were using. I was like, oh, this is funny. This is some real like Spring Awakening ass shit where everyone's just sort of like gesturing and like flapping their arms around, but punching not moving the ground, their legs. Punching the sky. <laughs> yeah, pu- punching different directions. And well, I'm- does it not? Does it not feel like the first half of this movie, at least, is edited exactly like Waiting for Guffman? Yeah. <laughs> like, it feels like a mockumentary. There's a point where Billy mm. Joe says, "I just really don't want it to be corny," yes, and then it yes. cuts and it cuts to Newsroom Jim, and he literally says, "I wrote it down." Note to self, get me the fuck out of Turd Town. (laughs) (laughs) It's a smash cut to Newsroom Jim singing Jesus of Suburbia, like... With the corniest, punkest facial expression. Yes. Yeah. And and that's the moment where you're like, this feels like parody. I also yes. think like musicals shouldn't be shot this close. Like it's one of those things where like you don't want to know how your sausage gets made. Like if you're in the rafters and he's going, Get me the fuck out of Turd Town, you're like, all right. <laughs> There's like a the reason that's in rehearsal. Big and corny, but like that close up, you're like, I don't want to, I don't want to see it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that, that's like a sentiment I had when I saw when I saw Book of Mormon, and you know the 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 main take or the way that that mo- that play was being sold was like Matt and Trey are bri- are South Parking up Broadway, and then you see that musical and you're like, no, 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 they didn't South Park up Broadway, Broadway, Broadway down South, South Park. Park. It's like yeah. they, they were trapped in there with Broadway. You can't get out of the un, undeniable corniness of a Broadway play. That's just like a base level trueness that that no matter how edgy your material is, you know, you, you could do the Gigi Allen musical and it would and still be fucking. Uh, yeah. And somebody should. And I will. Uh, yes. And it would still end up being corny yeah. in a Broadway way. It's because it has to be so big. Everything yeah. has to be so big and exaggerated because that's how you have to watch theater. Yeah, exactly. So it's well, not- I did as 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 time went on, and especially when Billy Joe, spoiler alert, guests for one night only, and he sings, and I was like, "Oh shit, this is actually so good!" And the Grammys performance seemed good, so yeah. I yeah. realized maybe I maybe I just hate Newsroom Jim. <laughs> I mean, you'll be the- alone in that man. <laughs> uh, you know what? The, I think that like. I think that Mormon works in a way that American Idiot doesn't because of what you just said, Chris. Like that it. It it understood the format and and played I think within the kind of like very clear box that is like a Broadway show, mm-hmm. and then it was but it was very successful as that. Whereas I think American Idiot because they tried so hard to make it like a we're punking up Broadway. It, the result is like profoundly like it's so cringe inducing. Like it gives you full body embarrassment chills to watch <laughs> any of this happen. And I say that as someone who loves musicals and loves the record, you're just like you can't. Some things just like aren't meant to go together. And yeah. this is one of those things. 
I love that other guy who who's like he sings the Sig Hail part oh, and he like yeah, pumps yeah. it up so much. <laughs> He's oh so funny. The guy He's who, the guy who I think does the like uh when they're doing the the cast photo shoot when it's like it's all coming together and the cast is really like connecting to the material and and there's like that montage of them being like I'm disaffected too and you're like oh shit these kids are are really fucked up by the war. And then I'm pretty sure there's a point where they're like all pretending to drink because there's no way they were actually like just yes. getting drunk at their photo shoot. And then that guy who does a see Kyle uh, screams, I am the king of fuck. <laughs> and the director's looking around like, oh, my God, this is so sick. And it's like extremely not sick. Oh, my God. Yes, that, that weird sequence where they're all uh, holding fool high lives. Yeah. In, some, yeah. in <laughs> some parking lot, and you're like, is, what is what this? What is this? <laughs> like a trailer shoot or something? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's very confusing. There were several mo- moments in the, there's the other moment where like, yeah, there was this one night when we were all just hanging out, and then people picked up music musical instruments and starting to play, and then- There was the a photo band, booth. There was a photo booth where we all took- playing, Oh, yeah. And then it was just doing a concert, and everybody was hanging out and drinking in a photo booth, and, and Molly just turns to me and was like, so, a cast party. You had a cast, <laughs> a cast party. party. <laughs> yeah, like pretty about, normal. Yeah. How is a photo booth even worth noting? Yeah. You, you can't go anywhere without there being a photo booth. <laughs> I mean, again, it was like 2008, so maybe that was the dawn of, of having a, a random <laughs> photo booths. Uh, this was the first party <laughs> that around. ever had a photo booth. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's just so special. It's like you got you got to take pictures with each other. It's just like so random. Yeah. You know? So random. There was like a photo booth there when they when they first show Billy the arrangement that sounds like Beach Boys and. It's a beautiful wall of sound or whatever. Yes. I feel like that was a misrepresentation of what the musical actually sounded like. Yes. Yes. Like I would have signed off on that too. I would have been like, oh damn, this is beautiful. I love this. But then they didn't show all the like stanky punk voices that they were going <laughs> to yeah. do later on. <laughs> Um, when the director's giving direction and he's like, don't worry about the things, you're just thinking like, fuck, fuck, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, don't man, worry about really- singing. Just, just hold that fuck in your mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that that was the direction. Like it's so I mean it it's it, it's just so clear that again the there's no way to properly mix like what is happening here where I think it's the musical director is like describing this one like really emotional scene um where <laughs> what's her name in newsroom Jim are like doing drugs for the Shoot first up, time. And yeah. he literally uses the phrase and he looks really emotional when he's saying it. He goes, and they're uh <laughs> and they're I wrote this shooting down up. Too. On drugs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like in a very romantic way. Yeah. Yes. The, the amount of embarrassment he has to say the word drugs on camera is uh, yeah. palpable. Shooting up on yeah. drugs. Yeah. Also that, I, I, I personally that love to shoot always, up on drugs. That guy's always looking for an excuse to just like show how sick he is at piano. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Or where they are. He'll be like, oh, what if we did it like this? <laughs> <laughs> I loved the when they did that scene with the 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 shooting up on drugs when they did they cut to like a close up of the spoon being like uh, yes. lit on fire. I was like, oh fuck, no, 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 no. no. shooting up on drugs. Oh uh, yeah, a lot of rubber tubing. Yeah. Wait, I want to run through what I understand the plot of this. Play yeah, to be. can we do that? Because oh, no. the plot of this the plot of this play I think takes about three sentences to say. 
and they spend there's the entire <laughs> movie alluding to it, but never saying it. Yes. Uh, so and then mattresses on wheels. Yeah. Yes. So you get on your mattress and wheel into the big city. Uh, yeah, it's like Starlight <laughs> Express, but for mattresses instead of trains. <laughs> uh, but then also the thing that I feel like the plot is self-contradictory, but here's my understanding of it. Yeah. There are three guys. Yes. Uh, Jimmy, Tudley, and Jimmy. Will? Also Jimmy. Will? Will? Uh, it doesn't matter. Their one name. of their names is Tudley. <laughs> yeah, Tudley. Tudley's the one who loses his legs in the in, war. In, in, in Iraq. Oh I think gosh. it's ton, Tunny or something. Tunny? It's something like classic, that. Classic Tudley. Uh. Uh, uh, so they're, they're all kids in suburbia. Turd town. A turd town, suburbia. <laughs> turd, turd town, USA. Uh, and they are like, this turd town sucks. Yeah. We want to get out. Yeah. So they all decide to leave except one Knocks up his girlfriend and can't leave. Yeah. The other leaves and goes to Iraq and gets his leg shot up. Yes. The third uh, goes to New York and gets uh, uh, seduced He's by the the punk Saint rock Jimmy. lifestyle of Saint Jimmy. <laughs> he uh, shoots and up, up on drugs and it shoots up on drugs. They and then the third act is them all realizing it was a bad decision and moving back to suburbia. Is that how it resolves? Because that's what it make it seems like. It sounds about right. I also think that they were like. Yeah, it's like an opera, so you'll f- you'll figure out the story by the action on stage. We're not going to write any new words, but like, do you think anyone figured out that that staircase falling over was a bus eventually? Because <laughs> only the back of it looked like a bus. Yeah, like, no what? one could see that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get that. <laughs> well, they also projected a, sc- a a road onto the walls, so you got it from that. But I, I don't know. It's just like the reveal at the very end. That's like, and then after after they've all been damaged by their travels. They come, they, we do a song called coming home or something, homecoming or yeah. something. Yeah. And, and I'm just like, so what was the, the moral of the story is suburbia is good. Good, actually. Stay in suburbia. Correct. Or like war. Like when I knew it all along. Yeah. <laughs> war is bad, is not because war tale. is bad, but because like you get your leg shut off and stuff and, and that have sucks. have to go home. Yeah. Yeah. Because mm. you left your home in the first place. It's bad on a personal level. Don't yeah. go to war, not for any like geopolitical reasons, but because you want to like keep all your legs and stuff. Yeah. That's the other thing that kind of <laughs> pissed me off about this is it seems like the musical really sanded out whatever political content was in the album to begin with to really focus on like, uh, yeah, it's an album called American Idiot that is like largely about how the Bush administration sucks. And you take that and you're like, I'm going to turn this into a musical about how if you dream about leaving suburbia, you end up addicted to heroin. Another thing I absolutely love that that reminds me of is they tried to add more politics to it because at one point, Billy Joe is like, Wake Me Up When September Ends was just about my dad dying. It's the most personal song I've ever written. And the director's like, uh, no, it's about 9-11. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I yeah. will say it was sort of interesting to, to like hear the deconstruction of that song and realize that I think it's actually a really good song that like many things has just been ruined by the Internet. Like you could never hear that song again. Yeah. yeah. But it's a good song. Yeah. It's like, a good I feel song. bad for Billy Joe. Those all those yeah. songs are good. Uh, fucking as corny as it is, the "Walk in the Lonely Wait, Road" song is we, really good. Can we talk about that? Because that's another situation where the director of the musical definitely like twisted the point of the original song to try to fit into Broadway conventions. Because he was saying that that the Boulevard of Broken Dreams song oh, yeah. was like this is the I want song, aka yeah. like a character at the beginning of a musical will sing about the things that they want, and then over the course of the musical, we'll find out what those things are. And I was thinking about this because they they positioned Boulevard of Broken Dreams as that song, and then I was like, but that song doesn't say anything about what you want. It's just about while well, I'm walking and I walk alone. 
and my shadow's the only thing that walks beside me. And here's the boulevard. Here's the dreams. They're broken. I'm like, what do you want, dude? <laughs> he wants a, a walking buddy. He wants to. Wa- he wants a walking. <laughs> I buddy? think it was literally just the sounds of the words. It's like the I walk. I want. Like it, it seemed like a literally <laughs> yeah. just a phonetic yeah, you, device. Yeah, if you orally squint, like narrative. Enough. Yeah. He doesn't ever talk about how he feels about walking on the boulevard of broken dreams. Yes. The road's lonely. Is he lonely? I, I walk a lonely road, and it sucks, man. I hate this it lonely sucks. road. It sucks. <laughs> this is trash. <laughs> this lonely road is trash. It's canceled. <laughs> I walk But it's funny in terms of like, in terms of like sanding down the politics, there's that great quote from Billy Joe right before the play opens where like, I think you're totally right. Like it, it doesn't feel political really by the time they're done with it. And he has this great quote where he's like I'm talking about how he doesn't know if it's going to be a success or whatever. And he's like, you know, people, you're going out for a night on Broadway and they show all the signs for like the Lion King and Mamma Mia, like those yeah. bullshit ass Broadway musicals that are yeah. just like fluffy. And he literally says, you know, if you're going out, you're trying to pick a show like do I feel like being challenged right now? Like that's yeah. the question that people who attended American <laughs> Idiot were asking themselves. Like, uh, <laughs> I want something that's going to well, cha- <laughs> challenge me. So I want to hear like, I got a rock and roll band. <laughs> I got a rock and roll vibe. Like, that's challenging look, music. Look, the musical is clearly very challenging. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. It's, it's challenging in that it makes you ask, who is St. Jimmy and why is he so twisted? <laughs> well, I And mean, also, is that Davy Havoc is what yeah. I was asking. Yes. <laughs> Wait, the, uh, the, guy, the, the bootleg uh, Marilyn Manson-ass guy they have playing St. Jimmy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do want to talk about that part because as I realized it went on and we saw more and more of, this, of the St. Jimmy song, mm-hmm. uh, how does it start? The name's St. Jimmy, Don't Wear It Out. <laughs> that that song is a the Joker song. That is a song that's like there's something about oh. this guy, and he oh, and that yeah. is he's twisted. Yeah, he, makes, Why he so thinks serious? crimes <laughs> are fun. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, true. Which just made me w- w- wonder how long until uh, we have a the Joker Broadway musical, and I think oh. surely within the next ten years. I would hope. Oh yeah. Damn it. Who, who do you think should write it? <laughs> so you've got you've got you two doing Spider Man, you've yeah. got Green Day doing American Idiot. Who's gonna do the Joker? Uh, Thirty tw- seconds to Mars. Uh oh, oh that's good. Uh, yeah. I was gonna or say twenty one uh, pilots. Twenty one pilots. Twenty one yeah. pilots would uh, be incredible. Twenty one pilots, Joker musical. I mean, I guess you have to get Lin Manuel Miranda to write it because he's the only one who writes musicals now. Yeah. It's just him. Well, yeah, he was in the room yeah. for American Idiot. He was like, "What? What about? What if I did this, but about the guy <laughs> who invented the electoral college?" <laughs> <laughs> I think it'd be great to like really tap into the 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 juggalo market because you've already had oh, like musicals yeah. for kind of like South Park libertarians. You've had musicals <laughs> now for sort of East Bay pop punkers, and like to be honest, there's this huge untapped market in just like. You know, people who think that Twisted is a sick band. Now, the Joker himself is Twisted. <laughs> so, uh, I, I think it's just like let's let's not be too clever about it. Like uh, two two rights make a right. Yeah, uh, Hell yeah. I, ICP doing a musical would actually be uh, an amazing. Like they're basically already there. They do movies. 
They have the fucking dark carnival. They've got their mythology. They put costumes, albums, man. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. The great Malenko, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's yeah. already there. Yeah, it's all I think they're too. They're too good to lower themselves to this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that might be the one the one instance in which it wouldn't be an example of Broadway Broadwaying down ICP. I can't imagine ICP <laughs> coming to Broadway in any way that didn't just absolutely fuck up uh, Broadway's whole aesthetic. You know, I interviewed Shaggy Two Dub once on the phone, and he interrupted me to make an order because he was in line at White Castle. <laughs> Stop <talking> it! <laughs> no. What did you hear? What he ordered? What's his yeah. What's his go to? Did he get a Crave case? I can't remember. I wish I could remember. <laughs> you know, like like six sliders. Yeah. Fry, uh, medium drink. Medium drink waffle fries. Yeah. Waffle fries. I'm trying to remember what their fry option is. I don't know. That's amazing. Yeah, that is amazing. That's just someone who's committed to his whole, you know, his art and his persona just yeah. top to bottom. Yes. He live he lives his art and he arts exactly. and he arts his life. I respect that. But actually this reminds me, I was gonna mention another interview I did once. I'm not just trying to brag about how oh, I've wow. done it. Yeah, yeah, yeah we get it. You're both now you're music all journalists. Of your interviews, man. Like, These are all for like failed publications that are no longer online. So it's not uh, really the, the, the Saskatoon <laughs> music tune. <laughs> <laughs> So just follow me on Twitter and pay me on Venmo. Um, but no, like I talked to the comedian John Daly once for an alt weekly oh, wow. in my city. And it's amazing. He had previously talked on the AV club about how he hated American Idiot because of this musical. And he like went off on on this musical and on this Broadway idiot movie on the AV club. So I like tried to bring it up again and he was like, I'm not talking about it. I don't want to talk about it. And I think he was like scared. Oh, wow. I think he, like, touched a nerve. Like, I think people are afraid to speak out against this <laughs> because Billy Joe, Joe Armstrong sent like goons to John Daly's house. <laughs> yeah. It's like Scientology. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Maybe John Daly is the American idiot. Oh. Yeah, sounds like it. How good uh, is that? This whole like watching this just reminded me of that cuz the whole thing is so like it feels like a satire the whole time and it yeah. really just reminded me of that excellent onion article that's like from a year or two ago like Green Day finally admits that George Bush was the American idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and then didn't the Washington Post sincerely aggregate that Yeah, story? They, that's right. They totally uh, did. <laughs> oh my god, that's a I did not know about the Washington Post. I forgot. That yeah, that was the yeah, there was yeah. this amazing thing that was like in the article, Billy Joe Arm, because it was Clickhole, and I guess some people don't realize that Clickhole mm. is the onion. Uh, yeah, somehow. but the Washington they Post should know better. Real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was the best. That's amazing. So, I mean, this is why Clickhole is so great, is because it is such great parody. Because I could absolutely imagine like a vulture piece yeah. that's like. Green Day, or uh, Billy Joe Armstrong finally admits a key secret to this American yeah, Idiot track. Totally. And you open the article and it's like, it was about George Bush all along. Oh, totally. Well, because this happens with Blink-182 all the time where they explain their lyrics and the lyrics are so obvious that they don't need to be explained, <laughs> but they still do. And it's like so embarrassing. But even in this movie, I can't, I wish I remember what the lines were, but Billy Joe's like, as soon as I got these two lines, I was like, oh shit, the whole I'm album I'm the son makes sense. And rage and, of rage and love. And yeah. he like, he was like, I was scared of it. That's what he <laughs> yes. says. <laughs> yeah. It's like, don't talk about your lyrics like that. <laughs> well, yeah, sometimes you're ruining them. Sometimes oh, you know, it's a great moment in in terms of uh, him like explaining stuff. And this is just, again, like the, the melding of these worlds is when they're practicing American idiot with the band, like mm -hmm. uh, with the, or like the orchestra, the house band or whatever. And he's having to like tell the guy to play downstrokes where you're like, <laughs> yeah, it's a punk song, man. Like you can't, you can no upstrokes. Have you yes. ever heard of Ramones record? Uh. Um, one of the things that uh, this movie reminded me of 
uh, that I periodically am is that I, I could never be a successful pop musician because you do, I don't have the specific kind of like confident dumbness uh-huh. that it really takes to write actually great pop music. Yeah. And right. I, 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 it's hard for this to not come off as, as a nag, but it isn't like a sincere compliment. You do have to have the right kind of brain to, to think of the phrase, I am the son of rage and love and be like, oh my God, Whoa. this is the most powerful <laughs> phrase Whoa. that it has possibly ever be written. Yeah. And I need like, I am ready to make an entire album about this rather than like writing that down and be like, I don't know, that's kind of dumb, but like, maybe I can go with it. Maybe you can workshop it a little bit. bit. No, you have to have that like dumb confidence to be like, this is, this is Shakespeare to me. <laughs> yeah. well, you also have to know that like people are going to like someday 10 years later like some assholes are going to be having a podcast just like tearing apart every little thing that you said about <laughs> it but, like in it's the true. end like yeah it's, it's a great it's a great record like it uh, you know i mean look at the uh, the movie is goofy as shit but like yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, you need you need a degree of um like you just can't be self aware at all because if you like are remotely sort of if you're thinking about what you're doing you'd be like i need to fucking stop <laughs> yes Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've always thought that with songwriting is like you have to be if you're trying to be cool while you're doing it, then you're going to just write boring songs. You have to be willing to like go there a little bit with being embarrassing. And that's why Tom DeLonge is such a good songwriter, because he's so embarrassing. Yeah. You have to just be willing to kind of like you have to figure out just how much embarrassing to be without going over the edge. Yeah. That's a great analysis of pop music. And this is, uh, there's like right after the, uh, one of the worst fashion choices in it, it, it was like really struck me and I literally made a note about it was newsroom Jim wearing a fedora after the play's debut. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. So bad is bad, man. He's cool well, now. I like, and again, I'm a newsroom Jim apologist. <laughs> have you, Sam, have you watched Peppermint? No. He's in that. Oh. <laughs> it's the, it's Jennifer Garner's Taken basically. Oh, Everyone yeah. <laughs> But Newsroom Jim is the cop in it, and I'm like, damn. Yeah, I was looking at that guy. That guy has a nice little uh, film and uh, TV career. Yeah, but do you think? Do you think think Sorkin saw American Idiot and was like, oh, I need that guy? (laughs) Yes, I Mm. I can imagine Sorkin uh, seeing something like American Idiot and being like, being like, well, this goes a little too far into the uh, polemic uh, (laughs) mode of argumentation, (laughs) but uh, I appreciate what it's trying to do. Although I gotta say we're we're nearing the hour mark and we haven't even dropped the bombshell yet. What? Of yes. The fact that the Cheeto in charge himself. Oh yes. my yes. God! The premiere. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. That was that is a bizarre little uh, um, detail uh, uh, documented in this is that Donald Trump was at the premiere, premiere of American Idiot. And the camera pans pans to the right and you just see the red carpet and you see his like weird head, head and, and hair, hair and, yeah. and Billy Joe Armstrong at the time being like what the fuck is he doing here <laughs> accurately at the time thinking that he was an asshole not a, a like a delightful celebrity so this was slightly pre what had Trump made noise about campaigning in 2012 at this point or I had he not even he done got that? on the birther train until like 2010 or 11 so I think this was just really genuinely like being right- like he right, was a creep. Yeah, right before his uh his his even began to his like conservative turn. Yeah. Cuz he was like a Clinton guy for the 2000s. Yeah. I mean, he was right. Wasn't whoever. It, when did Obama make fun of him in that speech? Wasn't that kind of the moment where his heart 
Oh yeah, bro. Oh and yeah. He was like, I'm going to get revenge. Yes. The inciting incident that everyone loves to put in their documentaries. But like at this point, he's still, even if he's like a Clinton guy, I mean, he's still like the Central Park Five. You know, oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Asshole, Absolutely. I mean, right? he's always been an, an asshole, but I don't think he had become like. Not that I think I'm going anyone here is defending flag- Trump. <laughs> yeah, I'm going oh, to become the flag bearer of the Republican <laughs> Party. I think that happened around like 2010. Yeah, no, that was um, a that was a weird moment. So sure. yeah, I don't know. Like, do you think he watched that and was like, "I'm getting some good ideas here. Yeah. This is a very positive musical." Uh, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should get the nation's youth hooked on heroin and get their like limbs blown off in a uh, foreign country. Or just you know, it seems like there's a lot of economic anxiety being expressed in this musical that I want to try to capitalize on. Yeah, well, honestly, yeah, like watching uh, watching these these young kids talk or sing about their suburban uh, deprivation and uh, dislocation and being like, yeah, I think in, in, uh, in about a decade, all of these uh, uh, sub- uh, disaffected suburbanites are going to be ready to vote for a ra- uh, racist fear monger. <laughs> They're ready. Also, this, this has nothing to do with it, but I just realized that the, the um, Jimmy plot line of the musical where he moves to the big city and gets hooked on heroin is actually just a prequel for Rent and he becomes Roger. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Right? <laughs> yeah. Wow, I, guys. I do I love figured the, it out. I, the shared rent American idiot universe is like blowing my I'm very excited about yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. That's but, also the funny thing about the stage design of this because uh like all great musicals, mm-hmm. uh you you imagine the pitch meaning uh of a designer coming in and saying, Imagine the curtain opens and you picture a stage covered in trash. <laughs> Uh, which is how which is how cats is sold and how this mu- uh, musical is sold and there are screens and there are screens everywhere uh, but then it is like the 40 foot tall walls of like punk posters on it with like a uh, a fire escape a fire escape going every down musical it. Need, every modern musical, musical needs, needs a, fire a fire escape they're all just fire escapes yeah <laughs> Because uh, you can climb it dramatically. So many it's, black flag posters. Yes. So, and and little notes. Like when they interview yes. um, the because it actually did, I think, win the Tony for uh, set design. Yes, right? which it is did. And lighting as great. well. <laughs> yeah. But, so, but it also got really good little notes for people, right? Yes. Where it's like there's stuff just for the cast. And it's like shit like Billy is weird. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what the fuck? I wrote that down too. <laughs> Billy is it so actually says Billy weird. is oh so weird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Or just like little weird like Barbie heads and in crevasses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is going to really inspire people to be their best selves in this play. But it, it is funny because that did win for uh, you know best stage design. But as Molly pointed out during it, it was like yes, this could be the stage for American Idiot or Rent, Rent or Jesus Christ, Away- Super Star. Jesus Christ Superstar or Spring Awakening or like literally any any play set in an urban space about disaffection has the exact same design yeah right but it's okay so it won a tony and then i also like just googled it and it did get mostly glowing reviews so i think by the standards of a musical this is a good musical yes yes and that's just like <laughs> again i'm just like what is going on well that i mean i i maybe that also explains the success of like lin-manuel miranda and hamilton of being like just slightly better than the standard of good for broadway yeah. makes people lose their minds i guess i don't know yeah I, I mean, I don't know where I'm going with this point, even as I started, but it's just funny thinking about like the decade that separates what would be considered like the a political Broadway musical, and one is American Idiot, and mm-hmm. then the next is Hamilton. Hamilton, and like I guess American Idiot is political by the nature of like depi- depicting like disaffection, and I guess the like d- horror of warfare and what it does to young people. Sure, 
uh, and Hamilton is political by having hip hop and being about <laughs> history. Uh, immigrants, we get the job done. Let's not yes. forget. Right. Yes. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I, it just seems like uh, Broadway's still figuring out how to do politics. <laughs> True. But like right. if they did try to do like if there was like a really like sick progressive like AOC the musical, it would be fucking terrible. Like no, oh, yeah. I awful. think to bring it no, back but to that's, po- what I'm saying is the more terrible they are, the better they apparently are as <laughs> right. Broadway musicals. Sure. So yes. <laughs> but I think sometimes you just have to like have to accept the limitations of the format, right? So like the format is designed for things like the music man. And it, it worked like that's that's what works about it. And then when you try to shoehorn in, like so many of my notes watching it are just like, holy shit, Boulevard of Broken Dreams, shooting <laughs> up scene. These are all caps, all of these notes. Um, like <laughs> the opening, like the yeah. first shot of, of, of uh, when they actually start playing uh, like American Idiot. Like it's, it's all so bad. Like it's just such every, a comical juxtaposition. Every time of, they show the three main guys with one of them in a, in a shopping cart and they're spinning them oh around as God. they're talking about leaving their town. I, I just was like, shoot me, kill me now. This they is love awesome. that shopping cart scene. It's like a very, it's a recurring visual motif in this. <laughs> it's almost its own character. The shopping it's cart. true. It's true. <laughs> because there, there are only, there are only three moves in bro- all Broadway. Mm-hmm. There is jumping up and down. There's grabbing the air and there's putting somebody in a box and rolling that box around. (laughs) (laughs) That's the plot. But again, it's like Um, Book of Mormon. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Josiah, but I just need to talk more about musicals. It's like (laughs) Book of Mormon is rooted in like this like Rodgers and Hammerstein, like sort of big, broad, just like people pleasing musical theater tradition. And then they've like put in all the like crass South Park stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's why to me, like I think Book of Mormon really works because it's it's foundation is like rooted in what it is. Whereas like American idiot, the foundation is kind of like a good progressive punk record. And Mm -hmm. that is just like an impossible thing to then meld with this like wide eyed, like musical theater style of performance. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's such a beautiful mess in this context, but like, my God, I mean, now I'm trying to think of like how I would try to like ground up redesign American idiot, uh, as like a Broadway play. And um, I here, here's my here's the top of my brain pr- pitch. Lay it on. The us. whole thing is set at a Green Day concert. Yes. And so all the songs are delivered by Green Day in a concert. And then you just put the plot in around the edges. Mm-hmm. And my pitch for the plot is uh, people brought together by Green Day playing these uh, anti-Bush songs. And then they have to uh, beat up a bunch of fucking Nazis who try to take over the DIY club. That's a classic punk plot line. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like Green Green Room. Green Room. Yeah. Musical. Yeah. And then and then because it's that a Broadway be musical, you have the, the punks be, actually beat the Nazis in the end instead of the other way around. Yes. Yeah, but but uh, pop punk is like the most centrist genre of music ever. So they'd be like, um, actually, Antifa is the real. Fa. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, um, the goal is to get, let the get the Nazis and Antifa to uh, get along. Yeah, reach end. across the aisle and find a bipartisan solution. Yeah, reach but around I, across the aisle. I actually did want to talk about fascism a little bit more for a second. Yeah, because go for it. so we're talking about how Donald Trump saw the musical and then was inspired to like. You know, bring America to the next level, yeah. basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, but, you think that's an American idiot? Uh, hold my beer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but something we've noticed through our podcast since episode one is that, like, these bands are trying to be ironic and play with images or or metaphors or jokes, but 
there's they have such a broad fan base that it doesn't work. So like Blink One Eighty Two on Dump Weed sings "I Need a Girl That I Can Train," and it's like supposed to be tongue in cheek and ironic. But if you're a dumbass thirteen year old, you just that becomes what you think about girls. Yes, yes. basically. Um, and I noticed when it was showing the American Idiot live footage because another thing we've noticed is that like skanking logos that every punk band has always looks like a swastika. Yes. yes. And Green Day, Green Day, when they were playing American Idiot, they had these giant red banners with white circle and then a black skate like they yeah. basically had swastikas on stage and i think those kind like people love to play with that imagery back then thinking that everyone was in on the joke but i'm wondering if that might have like prepared the world <laughs> oh for my god the rise of nazism again uh that's that's a totally legit point and it, it was like you for, for so long all that nazi imagery was like it get such a given that it was a joke if you used it that i i, I totally am uh receptive to the idea that it did it in the end just like normalize it yeah Ugh. i don't know i mean i think like if you look if you look back again like at that era on one hand it feels you know I'm, I, I don't know like the dixie chicks literally had their career ruined by speaking out against george bush yeah. and i yeah. think that we kind of like take for granted now that like every celebrity is political but i yes. do think like, like you're talking about a band who was already kind of like on the the downward slope of their career. And so I think like writing an album that was so explicitly political and then tying all of this like American imagery in with Nazi imagery, like they're, if anything, ahead of the curve. Like now everyone's like, oh, Trump is Hitler. And you're like, right, fine, I get it. But like the idea <laughs> yes. of taking um, your critiques of like the current American administration and so clearly tying them to fascism. Yes. Uh, I actually thought was like, again, it, to me, it's one of those things you look back on now and you're like, okay, I fucking get it. And also like it is to what you were saying, like, is this part of sort of normalizing these aesthetics? But like, I actually think it's like, this is, oh, this is the worst thing. I, I do think at the time it was maybe a little brave. Well, I mean, you say that, right. and then I'm reminded of the fact that 21 Savage is currently in ICE custody maybe, like, two weeks after he rapped on a verse cr- critiquing ICE. So, like, this shit hasn't gone away. Like, no, it's gotten the way idea, worse. The idea of, like, critiquing your government in music, I think, you know, we've maybe been a little anesthetized, anesthetized to it. Yeah. But it does matter and there are repercussions and it is because of fascism. Yes. So like, I don't know. I, th- I don't think I'm joking about him, them being brave, but like also, yeah, if you look at the Dixie chicks, holy shit, they were ethered. Yes. And yeah. I feel like no one talked about it for like 10 years and only now it's kind of coming up again that this is, this happened. And there is a, another part of the bravery that I, you know, I, I've mentioned like earlier, the, the having to have like the, the, dumb sincerity to get these messages out yeah but like when i was when i was interviewing a uh, uh, a savage from parquet courts on on the chapo episode i was trying to talk about this as well and I, I find it really hard to articulate uh well but i'm gonna try to say again that like to do like good political agitprop in songs is in a non-corny way is really difficult and you have to just like fucking go for it mm-hmm. and like it's the thing where uh, Rage Against the Machine, you know, when Dude. you first listen to it in the 90s, it's like, well, mm. this is kind of, this is a little on the nose, right? Some of those who, who burn crises, yeah. crosses are the same who work forces. And then you listen to it 20 years later and you're like, you know what? Some of those who work forces are the same who burn crosses. And you're, <laughs> and and you're like, they're fucking right. You just, this week, yeah, where you're like, Rage, like by the time you fell out of like Rage, when you were like kind of too cool for it and you listened to bands that were more ironic. Yeah. You're like, oh, I fucking get it. And now you listen to it and you're like, yo, 
cool. All of these songs are still <laughs> a, they still bang, but like yeah. B, like you were right. They were like, they were right. right. And they said it and the way that they said it. That was so straightforward is like, that was the right way to do it. It's not, it's not that they were like too dumb to say it better. It was like, no, just like fucking, uh, uh, you know, rhyme greed with everything, you know? <laughs> and th- that's like when you listen to American idiot, you're like, this seems stupid when it came out because it was so straightforward, but you're like, I want every song to be like this. I want every song to be like the media is anesthetizing you to the overriding corporate philosophy of theft, dude, dude, man. I mean, I think also you listened to it and thought it was dumb back then because yes, there are those messages about America, but then there's also like, my name is St. Jimmy. (laughs) I live upstairs. (laughs) Well, and that's, again, we're we're sort of defending, I think the core messages of this, but that doesn't take away from the fact that this particular film, Broadway idiot that we're talking about (laughs) is just so painful to watch because you're like, I agree with what you're saying, but I don't really like how you're saying (laughs) saying it. Yes. Did you guys notice that part where like, I think probably the mic just wasn't working properly. So they had to do subtitles. So when the guy says, I hope people like it, and that there's subtitles, but the word like is a Facebook like. Oh, but yes. Then the thumbs up, but it's a middle finger. The thumbs up turns into a middle finger. Yes. Like, yeah. yes. <laughs> oh, um, God. That is incredible. Another bit that uh, I actually had to put the titles on for because I was convinced I hadn't heard it correctly. Um, and it's similar <laughs> to them yelling, I am the king of fuck, is when the cast is doing their before show chant before the first night on Broadway. And they're, and the thing that they say to each other is, uh, it's like, one, two, three, it's fuck time. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they said. I I did not understand. Oh my god. Oh no. Right after they've done like the gypsy robe and and done all the like, and I find all that stuff like deeply charming. All of the kind of Broadway traditions. Sure. Yeah. 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 Whose first time? I know you probably don't, Josiah, but like (laughs) I'm like this is so magical. This is people's first time on Broadway, and like oh I, I love it. And then that just like reminds you how edgy they were trying to be. Yeah, and I think that that is. Then in the end, the fundamental disappointing thing about this movie and Broadway American idiot on Broadway is that it takes something that is like kind of this precious little nugget of a band hitting like the their 20 year mark and still coming out with exciting new material that has this political edge that mm-hmm. is massively popular in the middle of this like dark time in America that has, you know, the potential to be remembered as like a, a kind of amazing little cultural moment and then this is a movie about the process of turning it into its lamest corniest iteration of itself <laughs> yeah. yes of taking something that has the possible to be possibility to be remembered as cool and being like now what if we stripped all the coolness out of this and made it as stupid as dumb as possible not trey cool not, not trey, trey cool, cool at all <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's you a said, mike Molly, that's said- not a mike durnt durnt it's a Mike Dorn. <laughs> yeah. What was it like yeah. right before we started recording, Molly? You said something like "do or durnt," and I was at like "do's and durnts." Great that, durnt yeah. play. Yeah. I love how I also just love how Mike Durnt has looked forty five since. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. It's so good. That's so good. That's so true. Uh, but the feeling, the feeling of like punk stuff being cr- cringy and embarrassing and like awful, and people trying to define punk from outside and it's always this like fake edginess is like mm-hmm. it makes me realize that punk kind of doesn't really exist oh, like, yeah. there's no actual good version of it first of all and second of all this is the the feeling of watching this movie is the only feeling I'm chasing in my life <laughs> <laughs> no that that is absolutely right about uh punk and 
it's why it's so interesting and ephemeral because there is no there are like punk people mm-hmm. throughout history who have like enmeshed in a culture enough to like become punk themselves and then there are the people who are trying to dress like punk people uh you yes. know in, in like a broader sense you know anytime somebody is like we're gonna make this a punk rock blank it's always it always fails yeah like a restaurant yeah. like a punk rock restaurant this is gonna be a <laughs> punk rock pastisserie it's like poochie or something yeah exactly <laughs> And even and if my harshest criticism of Green Day themselves is that even them sometimes seem like they're just dressing up punk rock. Like, again, the uh, the the red the tie. Ruby, the Ruby Tuesdays uniform. Yeah, the Ruby Tuesdays <laughs> uniform, the black shirt, the red tie. Yeah. Like some, the, the, the uh, uh, safety pin earring of a safety pin. Uh, some of that stuff is a little like, all right, guys, you can call just just be you don't have to play dress up every day. But just like be yourselves. Well, in the uh, same way that Mike Dirt has always looked 45, Trey Cool has always looked like someone who's like been told to dress punk. Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> he, he's so unconvincing, despite the fact that for like 40 years, he's also looked the same. Yes. It, <laughs> I, I did also like in thinking about Trey Cool, like think like every time Trey Cool sings on a Green Day record, it is like the best song. Like obviously I was alone. And then there's a great clip in this of him uh, of like the rock. I, I'm in a rock and roll band. I got a rock and roll wife, which is a highlight of American Idiot as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, man. Uh, just wrapping up final thoughts on American Idiot. Uh, I can't believe that the main female character in this is literally called what's her name? I yeah. felt bad for the Does woman not- who had to play uh, play a character named What's Her Name, who seems so like that, they're... is that from the album? Yeah, there's yes. a song there's called What's, What's Her Name. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Does not pass the Bechdel test. No. What, I do not continue, <laughs> consider What's Her Name to be a named, a named female, female character. Female character. <laughs> <laughs> uh, whose entire role in the musical seems to be leaning out a window, then coming out uh, with no pants on and shooting up <laughs> with one of the... Uh, <laughs> With one of the uh, the, the shooting up on drugs, shooting up on drugs, shooting up on. It should drugs, be noted yeah. on drugs. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, oh, I also uh, I was going to bring this up earlier, but um, one of my favorite scenes in this uh, movie is like the director and the musical director having a long conversation with Billy Joe about trying to convince Billy Joe that he is a good songwriter. Oh yeah. Do you remember? Do you guys remember that when scene? they play his song back to him, and they're like, "No, dude, like the you're doing melodies in this song, man. You've got, you've got like notes that are good." And yeah. he's like, "I don't know. I mean, I guess." Or like, do you know. see how this chord progression, like, you know, it's a major chord, and then we take it down to a minor chord. You did that. You did that. You wrote this song, Billy, and he's like, "I guess I wrote the song good." <laughs> Leaving that in there really is so funny because it reminds me of like. Um, uh, I, I like watching Hot Ones, but one of the things that I hate about that show is they leave in every single time. The person being interviewed goes, that's a really good question. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, fuck off, man. Like, I get that, like, oh, wow, you're good or whatever. And so this idea of leaving this entire chunk in where it's like, it's just a ball wash for Billy Joe is uh, yes. yeah. strange. That was the only way he would sign off on using his music in this movie if they kept that in. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Well, I, uh, I, I, do, mean, I, I love the... I love the Broadway recording of 21 Guns, actually. I think it yes. sincerely sounds really cool. And and I forget, what do people say that song is a ripoff of? Is it All the Young Dudes or something? Yeah. Oh, yeah, the it does have a is similar like melody. plagiarized, basically. Yeah. Sure. One, one, 21 Guns, throw up your arms into the sky. I, I mean, I, whatever. whatever. There are only like four songs ever, and they're all just copies yeah. of each other. <laughs> who, ca- yeah. who cares? Billy's good at writing melodies, yeah. so it's fine. 
You know, I wish I wish that there was like that that scene had had like a carrot and a stick to it where it was like them trying to get him to. I mean, again, this is like I wish that there was any dramatic tension in this movie where it was like the producers needed Billy to change something and the only way they could get him to be like, wonder if we put a bridge in here was like 20 minutes of being like, nah, dude, you the way this melody works, man, fucking Bach would be blushing, dude. Wow. Billy Joe Armstrong. (laughs) But you know what? Billy Joe, he's, he's from the rock world. And I love, there's that whole scene where, again, when they're discussing the differences between the director and and Billy, where it's just about class, he's like, I'm from the rock world and the rock world's like this. And it reminded me of this interview. Like I remember being a kid and seeing Mark McGrath being interviewed on Jay Leno. (laughs) And it was when Mark McGrath had sort of crossed over and become like an E E talk host or whatever. And, he just kept referring to stories like he was trying to tell all these anecdotes from when he was in Sugar Ray. And he was like, you know, I'm from the rock world and blah, 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 blah. And it <laughs> got to the point where even he kept saying I'm from the rock world so much that Jay Leno was making fun of him. And was, oh that's how bad it was. Like, Jay Leno was like, I can't let this go. <laughs> like the sort of yeah, what Jay Leno's calling you out man. for being a poser. You yeah. really fucking uh, uh, tripped over your own dick there. Yeah. So do they, uh, so uh, in this rock world, uh, did they, uh, uh, you you guys take meals in there? uh, What kind of sodas do you drink in the rock world? But like Billy Joe's definitely been richer than that guy for like 40 years. Oh my God. Just imagine how much money Green Day has is is mind boggling. It's insane. I was going to say, being punk is just all about like remembering something you did when you were 15, but you've been rich for so long that you have to cling to that one thing because you've been eating at the same restaurants as actors the whole time. Yes. Yes. Remember like, that Tom DeLonge will always be like, we used to hang out in a Target parking lot, and like that's all he remembers because now he runs a space exploration company. One <laughs> 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 um, one other thing, and uh, about this is that like, I I was Molly and I were at the ballet the other day, uh, and, ooh. Ooh, yeah. ooh. and before the ballet started, there there was this guy. Uh, they were interviewing one of the ballerinos. That's a male ballerina. Yeah, that it is should be the official name to call them. One of the inter- ballerinos about like putting together uh, a ballet, and it was just reminding me that all art interviews fall or like discussions about art it, with artists fall in one of two categories, and that is like a completely uh, sublime like mind-bending discussion about the nature of like life and beauty yeah. or a conversation that is something along the lines of, well, the thing about music is that it contains notes <laughs> <laughs> and like, uh, that's what, and this movie was, was definitely in the latter. The, latter. the entire movie is like now a musical. The thing about a musical is <laughs> it has singing and dancing. Yes. As well as a story. And that will be the trick of this project. That's like the when they were doing the wire work and that, that actor was learning how to like fly on the wire and being like, well, you know, I thought this was going to be easy. And then I realized like, I'm not just flying up there. I'm also singing. And I'm like, yeah, yes. I think that would be the point of doing that. Yes. And that would be hard. Yes. Uh, and that is like the, but, the entire thing is, is just a, a two hour long diatribe of like, well, this is a rock song. And now we are making it a musical. Yeah. Now Period. the thing is, yeah. like, for for how much the documentary has no dramatic tension and clearly sucks, it's like <laughs> it's crazy watchable. Oh my yes. god, I loved every second of it. Yes. Yes. Agreed. Um, just to actually, sorry, just to ask a question about the ballet. So 
you're at the ballet and they show an interview with one of the ballerinas. Like, is it like a, like a, like a, <laughs> it sounds like a sporting event or something where they're like, like a halftime. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, like sweating and more gear. They project the interview to the jumbo like, Look, I just got to get out there and do my <laughs> spin and that's it. You just got to hustle <laughs> thinking about it. You know, I would, uh, I would actually love if they did that. No, it was before the interview and I, I brought it up because it was very much, very much like, so how do you go about doing a ballet? And the guy's like, well, the thing is, is that we have to get a lot of people together and then they have to dance together. And I'm like, it's All like right, a hockey sure. player interview. Yeah. So yeah. It really is. Yeah. Was uh, there a 50, 50 draw? As well? <laughs> <laughs> but I would love if like right before they started it, they had like a behind the scenes with like a sports correspondent being like, so what do you, so what do you think the special challenges of, of yeah. uh, this, uh, key to of, or, of Orpheus is going to be a be like, well, the thing about Orpheus is that the dance part is complicated. <laughs> so, uh, I think I just got to go out there and dance 110% and, uh, you know, really trust my uh, teammates out there and we're going to try to leave it all on the stage. Yeah. Now, how did everyone feel about the the sort of the, there's a setup at the beginning of, of Billy Joe's going to go out and make his Broadway debut. And then that's that's kind of the arc that they try to set up like that's, yes. that's yes. the attempt of the kind of <laughs> Actually, setup and payoff in this film is this conclusion where Billy Joe comes out as St. Jimmy. And I had a lot of feelings about it. And I would really love to know how everyone else felt about how this moment was depicted. I would say my main feeling is realizing that I was a, an hour and 40 minutes into the documentary and I and we had not yet seen Billy Joe uh, on stage and then realizing that there would be like another 20 minutes in and getting disappointed uh, yeah. because they do set that up right at the beginning and then immediately forget it for 90 plus minutes. Yes. Uh Brisk eighty minutes long. This whole movie. Oh really? <laughs> it felt two hours. Is really telling. Uh, yeah, it is. Like, is <laughs> there I felt a director's like... cut? Because I want to see that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, felt like two hours to me. It oh, was that. Yeah, it, it was that moment that uh, where I realized we had not yet see uh, Billy Joe uh, on stage. That where I was like, God, how long is this? I wish that there was more of the performance. The the ways they chopped up the actual performed bits made me feel a little crazy. And I don't know if there is like right stuff that they were dealing with or I don't know what. But like, I feel like we would see like five seconds of him singing and then they would cut to a million other things. And then you'd see like another five seconds and then they would do oh, some yeah, sort of like it, I was just like, well, I don't really know how good he was because I can't really tell because they keep interrupting him. <laughs> the Grammys, the Grammys thing felt like that too. Yeah. Like I was like, are they showing the stage at the Grammys or are they just cutting away because they could only afford 10 seconds of Grammys footage? Yeah, that was confusing. I felt confused. And also that I thought Billy's performance was like, it sounded kind of canned. Like, did he, or is he just so sick at singing that it sounded exactly like the record? <laughs> it, that's what I thought too. I thought I was like, are, is he lip syncing or did they like pipe this in because it really did seem almost exactly like the recorded version i bet he's just that good he's a, maybe he's a machine i don't know i feel like there he might have been a lot like lot like they would have had an auto-tune rack potentially because like especially like it's his first time like dancing and stuff because it sounded live ish but i felt like i was listening to it and i felt like you could hear kind of correction on it well there were, maybe I don't yeah know. they were also doing that thing in the construction of the documentary where they were like playing a track and cutting back and forth between like people rehearsing and people recording the album version and people doing it on stage. That made me wonder if they were like just cutting the documentary to like the cast recording version. Maybe. Maybe. I did think the musical seemed a lot better when Billy Joe was in it. Yeah. Yes. I was um, so happy for him, like watching him kind of like live at his moments. But there's that moment when he comes out to do it and like it, they're showing him kind of practicing it. And he's like staring a hole in the back of newsroom Jim's head. And the <laughs> shot lasts for like 
Initially, it's like five seconds. You're like, this is fucking weird. And then it just keeps going. And you're yeah. like, is he going to kill him? Is he trying to like have sex with him? Like what's like, there's, it's just like a lot of emotions go. And you're like, maybe he wants to like wear his skin. Like he wants to be newsroom Jim. Yeah. There's like a, a very weird uh, tension there that I, I was happy to see them explore so extensively in that shot. There was like kind of a funny little moment where Billy Joe's talking about the, uh, process of making this musical and he's like yeah the thing about being in a band is that you're touring all the time and uh as you get big you kind of lose all your friends so uh i think the thing that i like most about this is uh oh people yeah. having to hang out with me oh uh-huh. yeah he's like he's they're so my friends. cute yeah he I, I love that i can watch this whole movie and it's so embarrassing and i can try to listen to the uno dos tray triple album and it's mostly so embarrassing and at the end of it all i'm still like billy joe armstrong is so genuinely cool yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and that that's is kind of remarkable about- about him coming, really on, is. coming on stage is like it, it is that thing about everybody else is playing dress up of punk and then he is the act the actual punk and and like the electricity of of like doing this whole thing to like indicate punkness and then having the actual guy bust out on stage is like that just that instantly makes the thing 100 percent better that the guy is there you know yeah totally there's, there is that weird moment though, where like he makes his debut. First of all, it's great when they start being like, St. Jimmy's coming. And the audience is like, yeah, <laughs> yes, that beloved character that we all know and love. <laughs> yeah. St. Jimmy. And then after they do, they're like insanely dumb, like I'm swinging the swinging of their arms, like dance. Yes. And then the song ends and people like there's rapturous applause and, and people are on their feet so excited that Billy Joe Armstrong has made his Broadway debut and there newsroom Jim is like just beside him doing this like psychotic, like, yeah, kind of nod at him <laughs> where he looks like Jack Nicholson in the departed. You know, that, <laughs> that gift that people use all the time. Just like, yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> similarly, it goes on for a, a really long period of time where it's just newsroom Jim, just like <laughs> nodding, like he's going to eat Billy Joe Armstrong. It's incredible. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they both want to devour each other and, and steal their respective energies. Billy Joe, yeah. Newsroom Jim's Broadway energy. Yep. Uh, newsroom Jim, uh, Billy Joe's punk energy. It's a symbiotic But relief. do you think, like, other than the front two rows, do you think anyone could have even seen that it was <laughs> Billy Joe whatsoever? <laughs> I do like that, he, unlike the, the Marilyn Manson guy who normally plays that part, uh, Billy Joe uh, deemed to wear a shirt. Yes. For that role. Yes. He's a uh, sweet, modest boy. He has a sweet mind. <laughs> um, final thoughts on this movie, anybody? I think it is a great I, little uh, lens into a, a kind of great little double lens, both of itself into like the late aughts kind of sanitized version of the aughts that mm-hmm. that we ended on. And then through the original source material, the kind of grittier, darker uh, uh 2003 or four era of the aughts that the source material is from. I, I think in, in that way, it, it, it's the dual parts of, of the first decade of the 21st century, you know, if that makes, if that makes sense. It's the uh, 21st century breakdown, if you will. It is. A, it <laughs> oh, doesn't wow. represent the, the, the shades, the, t- the two sides of the 20, uh, 21st century breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just love it. I, th- uh, sincerely, this is the feeling that I love the most because like green day is the one pop punk band that like cool punk guys we call them dead tooth guys on our podcast because they're always like 55 and and collect dead kennedy rare presses and stuff but those guys are always like the one pop punk band i like is green day so i love just watching green day be even more embarrassing than (laughs) yeah it's just like it's so beautiful i love it (laughs) 
Yeah, I I have heard a lot about this movie from Josiah, who's constantly like, have you you ever watched Broadway Idiot? And I was like, no, (laughs) I haven't. (laughs) I have to admit, this is like kind of a a surprise um, suggestion. Yeah, watching it was like extremely uh, a Josiah experience where I was like, yeah, this this is for sure the kind of thing that that I can imagine you punishing people with. Uh, and, uh, And I thoroughly enjoyed watching it and trying to sort of understand how it is that punk can be, um, I think still like a real and vital force and also be this and how mm-hmm. green day can be like a band that I respect and also be this and how musicals can be a thing that I love and also be this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, it's just a reminder of the sort of great grayness of our, our existence truly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I mean, the, the thing is uh, delightful in its failure to capture what is actually amazing about Broadway idiot, the the musical as a, a cultural artifact, the uh, triple unexpected turn that a, the unexpected turn that Green Day, a bunch of idiot teens from the East Bay would become one of the largest musical acts of their generation. Mm-hmm. The unexpectedness that a band, a huge band that uh, banks on its like idiocy popness of its punk music would create a album that has like a remarkable uh, political resonance. And then the unexpected turn that that pop punk politics album would be, would become fodder for a successful Broadway musical. So it's like three subversions of expectation that this uh, movie does not capture in any, in any way whatsoever. (laughs) But creates its own special flavor of of cringe and earnestness all yeah. the same. That I do, Josiah. I think I think you're you're chasing of of cringe. I I respect it, and I I feel similarly. It's like that that twin feeling of um re- revulsion and attraction to cringy earnest stuff. Yeah, it's what it's what keeps me keeps me going. It's what keeps the, the world going. The next the next recommendation after this one, I would say, is probably the other F word, which the other F word uh, in the title, spoiler alert, spoiler <laughs> alert, is fatherhood. Oh boy! Um, oh, and no. it's it's like Lars Fredrickson, Mark Hoppus, and Fat Mike, and a few other pop punk guys. The guy from Pennywise, and it just follows what it's like to be a pop punk dad, and it is so <laughs> embarrassing. Oh my god! Oh, I'm all in. That sounds amazing. That does sound great. We should we should watch that. The Maybe- last word I want to say on on American idiot the original album is that green day just really figured it out and they made a concept album with theoretically a plot and most of the songs are like four minutes or under and i just respect brevity so yeah like uh good job guys just get they got it in under an hour yeah <laughs> the the whole story yeah. they did that they did that they did that <sighs> they, that's not something we're capable of doing. No, they walk Listen, there's the a ti- there's a time and a place for everything, including going three hours on on one thirty second song, which <laughs> you guys do, and we respect you for it. Well, let's use that as a uh, segue. Uh, wh- wh- where would you direct our listeners to to check out your guys' stuff? I've already done like seven plugs, but <laughs> you get um, you get again. space for one more. Plugs at the beginning, plugs at the end. So uh, we have a podcast called Blink One Fifty Five. It's entirely too long. It's uh, uh, it's basically this <laughs> what we just did, yeah, but like twice as long yeah. and less people talking. Yeah. <laughs> if you wish that instead of like four interesting points of view, there were like two serviceable points of view, um, and instead of sort of delving into something with as many potential textual layers as an adaptation of a punk album, um, you know, uh, from a bygone era, and it was just about like uh, a skate punk song from like 10 years ago, then we're the podcast for you. Yes. 
Love it. But yeah, it's really fun, and we have like a insane um, Twitter community and Facebook community, and there's like probably uh, I you know I always said I can't get into the best show. It's too late. There's too many inside jokes, and I boy am I a hypocrite because <laughs> we're, we're so deep up our own assholes. Um, but it's really fun, so come join us in there. Your your fan base is is. Truly incredible. After we guessed it on your pod, seeing that people had created like burner Twitter accounts for like audio critiques of you guys, <laughs> I was like, wow, this is an entirely different level of, mean, of pod listenership. Yeah, that one was that one was the only one that actually wasn't a joke, and that guy had a meltdown at us after for real because oh I don't use a pop screen. So, yeah, but, he said yeah, we have actual non-joke burner accounts as well, like just serious hate accounts. It's amazing. Oh my God. He said that um, he felt like he was in an abusive relationship like and he wasn't joking because Josiah doesn't use a pop screen it was like a very strange he took it strange as a week. personal <laughs> there are other more interesting ones like there's one that's like all about gender theory because Josiah and I fumble our way through having like uh, intelligent conversations about Blink-182 lyrics and thankfully there are people who listen to us talk and correct us so there is like a whole yeah. weird world there and it's fantastic and there's an actual there's an actual man whose name is Bill Billingsley that we got to shout out he yes. lives in California um, he bought Travis Barker's car just so he could talk about it on the podcast. He like bought it off of uh, an what? auction or something. What? Yeah. Like he's it, always well, like doing and he's like always stalking Tom DeLong for us because he lives in San Diego. And so yeah, he's like kind of we call him the papa. You've of got the pod. you got boots on the ground in there. Yeah. <laughs> we do. I love that. Well, all That's I'm real. saying is that uh, every one of those Blink 155 fans should also become and introducing fans. Uh, hopefully they are all listening to this. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Listen to the rest of this pod. It's good. Uh, even though we don't just talk about Blink-182, although we do that They're often. Our tra- we do talk about them often, I would say. Yes. They're- you probably talk about them just as much as us, <laughs> which is not very much. <laughs> and I think also for our fans that you know enjoy literature, it's probably refreshing to hear people who have read more than one book. Uh, yes. Sure. So I think that's wow. cool. Well, Molly's wow. read more than Sorry, one book. She, she just that's tells like me part about of your <laughs> identity. <laughs> <laughs> Josiah's only ever read the Travis Barker um, biography. If you're going to read any book, that, I mean, that one's a yeah. pretty good one. I mean, yeah, that, that book has, has a 30 person blow bang in it. Yeah. What, what more do you need from literature? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Her, did Melville ever give you that? I no. don't think so. <laughs> well, he might have, but I, if he did, I didn't understand it. <laughs> it's truly Melville's greatest shortcoming, I think. Uh, people often say that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, is <laughs> the lack of oral sex orgies in uh in his work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's move into the, confidently into the end part of this episode. Molly, do you have anything to plug? I don't have anything in particular to plug. You can follow me on Twitter at Miss Molly Mary. I'm uh, there, and you can follow me on Twitter at Say What Again. I'm there, and you can follow <laughs> us on Twitter at and in, at and Intro Pod, or send us an email at andintroducingpod at gmail dot com. Uh, we got some recent emails about milk in heavy metal that I have uh, uh, not fully. What? Yes, uh, that I've not fully looked into, uh, but uh, we, I will share some of those theories on next week's episode. Okay. Uh, about why milk was so prevalent in the dressing rooms of heavy metal musicians in the 80s. Uh, I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait. Okay. Uh, our SoundCloud is, as always, at SoundCloud.com slash and dash intro dash pod. Remember to subscribe to us on iTunes, and you should rate and review us too because that does something there. And uh, but more importantly, just tell tell a friend, tell a friend, tell your homies, tell your home fries, uh, uh, tell uh, uh, contact the guy who made Spring Awakening and get him to make a musical about how much you like this podcast. Yeah, 
Uh, he has. You guys are you guys are so good at podcasting. It's crazy. <laughs> I was like amazing. I was like, this is so sick. That's our, that's our bit. <laughs> we just we just like say bitchy things to each other. <laughs> that's all we do. I mean. To be frank, uh, one of the reasons that I started this podcast, I mean, mainly because Molly and I love love uh, gossiping about mu- musicians. Yes. And then secondly, I started this podcast so that I could be have a career in podcasting. Uh, yes. And so I <laughs> I the secreted myself into doing it by trying to be do it as professionally as po- possible. And lo and behold, six months later, I got a job podcasting. So it worked. But so if, now I have to keep it up. If that is if that's considered good at podcasting, like I'll take it, you yeah. know. I'll come up with bits all day. That can be a podcast in and of itself is just sort of uh, jargon and and bits. Yeah. Yeah. That's the name of the podcast. Jargon and bits. Jargon and bits. (laughs) It's like a terrible morning zoo. Oops, all intro is our our next podcast. (laughs) Hell yeah. You just introduced the show for an hour and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right. That's it. Uh, We'll see you again in two weeks on another and introducing... (laughs) 